Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. Before I begin today's episode, I wanted to ask for your help with something. If you listen on iTunes, you've probably seen their list of podcasts designated as COVID-19 essential listening. I've reached out to Apple to ask them to include Shelter in Place on that list, but I need your help. If you could take a moment to go to iTunes, rate Shelter in Place, and write a quick review of what you like about the show, I would be so grateful. I've been devoting each episode this week to imagining a better future for ourselves and to being grateful as we dream. It's my birthday tomorrow, so I suppose I'm also looking for reasons to celebrate and be hopeful, especially in this time when there's just so much to feel bad about. On Monday's episode of Shelter in Place, that was episode 35 if you missed it, I shared about how some big losses for our family prompted me to put aside my usual skepticism and give myself permission to dream big, crazy dreams, to expand my vision of what the future could look like. I also invited you to dream with me in a very specific way. Every day this week, let's write down one big, crazy dream for our life. Then let's find some way to genuinely express gratitude to someone else. Finally, send me a message and tell me about it on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or email me through my website, laurajoycedavis.com. I'll be gathering stories all week, and later this week, I'll share some of them with you in a special episode. On yesterday's episode, episode 36, I shared with you how the generosity of other podcasters has helped me to consider the crazy idea that during this time when my family's source of income has disappeared, I might be able to support them through my writing and podcasting. I've talked a lot this week about all of my reasons for feeling skeptical and even a little guilty about making money for my art. But something I've been realizing as I've been exploring the idea is that I can be really cynical about generosity. I want to believe that we're capable of creating a world where no one goes hungry, where we all have our basic needs met because we're sharing our resources in a way that's responsible and sustainable. But I also know that so many of the forces of our world are powered by a human emotion we don't like to talk about, greed. If you've spent any time in a church, you've probably heard someone say that there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about money. Most notable among those verses are the ones found in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If the church is a place where you haven't felt super comfortable, let me just pull back the curtain for you and say that all of those verses about money don't stop Christians from sometimes being greedy. Most of us don't like talking about money no matter what we believe in. Generosity is something we have to learn. I recently read a really great story about someone who wanted to see if generosity was something that we could learn. Christina Carnes is a researcher and professor at the Center on Brain Injury Research and Training at the University of Oregon. She wanted to know if there was a connection between the internal experience of gratitude and the external practice of altruism. So she started doing research to see if people became more generous by practicing gratitude. 
and her fascinating story, New Thoughts About Gratitude, Charity, and Our Brains, Christina writes, It turns out that the neural connection between gratitude and giving is very deep, both literally and figuratively. A region deep in the frontal lobe of the brain, called the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, is key to supporting both. Just keeping a written account about gratitude led people to report experiencing more of the emotion. Other recent work also indicates that gratitude practice makes people more supportive of others and improves relationships. Importantly, the participants in our study also exhibited a change in how their brains responded to giving. In the MRI scanner, the group that practiced gratitude by journaling increased their pure altruism measure and the reward regions of the brain. Their responses to charity gain increased more than those to self-gain. In other words, Christina's research found that the brains of the people with more grateful and altruistic tendencies assigned more value to charitable donations than to receiving money for themselves. She goes on to say, giving to charity became more valuable than receiving money yourself. After the brain calculates the exchange rate, you get paid in the neural currency of reward, the delivery of neurotransmitters that signal pleasure and goal attainment. So in terms of the brain's reward response, it really can be true that giving is better than receiving. This seems so positive and incredible to me that we can not only learn to be more generous, but that being generous can actually make us feel better than getting more money for ourselves. But I also have to say that that last quote from her, the one that talks about how giving is better than receiving, was a little hard for me to read this week, and not for the reasons that you might think. A few days ago, a friend sent out a group email to suggest some charities we might donate to right now, and I felt stung by it. Nate had just lost his job, and so this week, we've been going online, freezing our monthly charitable contributions. In the past, my husband and I used to make jokes about the fabulous vacations we could have if we weren't tithing or donating to charities. But we did it because it felt like the right thing to do. Giving helps us get a little closer to the people we want to be. I hadn't really considered whether or not I was getting any satisfaction from giving until I read Christina's article. But what she found in her research is absolutely true in my own life. It was way easier to cancel our Netflix subscription and freeze our monthly deliveries from Amazon than it was to stop donating to the places and people we care about, who are working to make this world a more peaceful, just place. And yes, I know this is starting to sound like a humble brag, so I should also tell you that generosity is something that we've had to learn. I don't think I'll ever stop learning. I still get stingy about money sometimes. Even though we grew up in families that taught us the 10% rule, that is, that 10% of our income should go toward charitable donations, for a long time, we didn't give anything. We justified it because we were young and poor, and we didn't feel like we could give away our money when we often didn't have enough to pay our rent on time, which was fair enough. I still think that there are seasons in life when we need to receive from others, when giving financially just isn't an option. There are ways to give beyond money, like giving your time. But even as we began to find better paying jobs, giving was an afterthought. Sometimes we'd give at the end of the month if we had a little left over. After our year in the Philippines volunteering for Samaritana, which I talk about in episode 22, 
we saw for the first time how our charitable contributions could change lives. At the time, $100 a month to Samaritana fully supported one of the sex trafficking survivors that Samaritana serves. After spending a year with those women, it was easier to say no to some of our own comforts so we could support them. But even then, our contributions weren't at 10%. Thinking back to those things that Jesus said about money, I think his words were right. Even when we really want to be generous, it's hard not to love money, either because we feel like we never have enough or because we feel like we worked hard for it. We shouldn't have to part with it. And then about five years ago, our church went through a financial crisis. It wasn't a situation of mismanaging money or being negligent. It was a perfect storm of unforeseen circumstances that all crashed together to reveal the very disturbing truth that our congregation was not very generous, which, of course, included us. We talked a lot about social justice, but the numbers told a different story. I was on the board of active elders at that time, and I can tell you that there was weeping and gnashing of teeth in those meetings. We had to lay off a beloved pastor and friend. People left the church over it. A close friend of mine ended our friendship when I reached out to her to ask her if her family was willing to contribute financially. It was an awful time for all of us. But what came out of that time was an effort to educate the church about generosity. There are always going to be people in our midst who can't give financially because they're struggling to survive. But whether we're struggling because we don't have enough money or we're feeling reluctant to part with the money that we've earned, there's a lot to be learned from those words from Jesus about money. It's not that being wealthy is bad. It's that so often money can enslave us. There's an open-handedness that happens for me when I stop thinking of my money as my own and instead start thinking of it as something that I've been gifted, that I can use to bless and encourage others. It was that open-handedness that invited us to not just give what we felt like we could spare, but to let that giving happen first. And our church pulled through. We became more generous. That same church that wasn't very generous before is providing a COVID-19 relief fund for people in our city who are struggling right now. They even reached out to us to encourage us to use it if we need to. Recently, we've been trying to share this view of generosity with our kids. A few months ago, we got them one of those piggy banks where there are three slots for their coins, one for spending, one for saving, and one for giving. Around the same time, our family started a gratitude journal. I didn't connect the two before, but after reading Christina's story, I'm realizing that they do go hand in hand. Some of the entries of that journal read, I'm grateful for nothing. But in general, our kids are waking up each day of this pandemic thinking first and foremost about what is good in their world. And they're figuring out how to be more generous and how they can contribute to making our family work right now. They're still fighting and complaining a lot and making us feel crazy. But they're also vacuuming and helping with dinner and unloading the dishwasher. In their best moments, they're beginning to understand that it feels really good to give to others. Today, for this week's Dreaming and Gratitude Challenge, my big crazy dream is that COVID-19 would make our world more generous, that my kids will grow up thinking of money not as something that belongs to them, but as a gift that they've been given to share with others in ways that make our world better. 
I hope that I'll be able to support my family through this podcast so that we can start giving again to the organizations we love so dearly. If you want to help me do that, share this podcast with your friends and go to iTunes to rate and review it. My gratitude today goes to the incredible, thoughtful leaders at my church, Christ Church East Bay, who taught me to live not from a place of scarcity, but from abundance. Bart and Katie Garrett, Jonathan and Catherine St. Clair, Eric and Shay Gilbert, Quinn and Patrick Vaughn, and all of the elders and deacons who gave their time for free. You've taught me so much about what it means to be generous. I'm leaning on that wisdom now more than ever. I'm looking forward to hearing about your stories of dreaming big and being grateful this week. So before you step away from your phone or your computer, send me a note. Let me know how this week's challenge of gratitude and dreaming is going for you. I can't wait to hear from you. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Shelter in Place, I would love it if you could rate it and review it wherever you listen, share it with a friend, and subscribe. Shelter in Place is sponsored by Brick and Mortar and Delta Wines. Even in these tough times, this family business has stepped up to be the first sponsor of Shelter in Place. When you order wine from brickandmortarwines.com or winesforchange.com, you can get 10% off your order by using the promo code SHELTER. If you order six or more bottles from Brick and Mortar, you'll also get free shipping and overnight shipping in California. The Shelter in Place music was composed by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions, and the Shelter in Place artwork was created by Sarah Edgel. As always, you can find links to the things I mentioned in each episode in my show notes at laurajoycedavis.com. Until tomorrow, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.